give somebody a big old high five and tell them, I'm so glad that you are here today. Amen. Amen. I want to release our kids' city at this time. They can go and hear the word of the Lord and be blessed in their classes. Thank you for all of those. You can be seated this morning. Amen. I want to thank you for being here. Glad that all of you are here. And it's good to see everyone here smiling. Now I can say it's good to see your smiling faces. So good to see you. If you're a first time guest here today, we welcome you. We are excited that you are here. Amen. It's our privilege that you come to worship with us. Before you leave, we just have a small gift. It's a token of our appreciation for you being here. I'm Pastor Tim. This lovely, beautiful, talented lady over here is my uh, much, much, much better half. Uh, she makes me look good. She even dresses me. And so uh, my mama dressed me funny, but my wife don't. Amen. And so, <laughs> amen. So privileged to get to pastor this church uh, with her and my two little girls. So, we've been talking about loving others. Has anybody been tested on that since we started this series? Now, the next question, if you don't raise your hand, I'll give you the pass or fail. You're awake on the grave. Yeah, yeah. Semester's not over. Don't know yet. But uh, we've been talking about loving others. Our series this week is called Messy. Loving others isn't easy. Our whole idea, our whole thought is that the idea of saying, oh, I love you, that's easy, right? We can say I love you. But uh, loving others according to uh, the example that Jesus gave is different. Loving others according to the Word of God a little bit different. And uh, it includes forgiving others as quick as you forgive yourself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so you've got to forgive your people, your spouse, as quick as you forgive yourself. But we've got to forgive others as quick as we forgive ourselves. Show mercy and grace. And that's what we've been talking about that today. So for today, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has uh, with a young man. And uh, we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to go to uh, chapter 19. And uh, we're going to read about 10 verses. And uh, Matthew 19, verse 16, says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, anybody ever heard the, 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 the saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question? Well, if there were, this might be. <laughs> That's a stupid question. 
what good deed must I do? Because we all understand that there's nothing we can do to earn eternal life, right? Because we're sinners. Look at Renee's face. Hopefully not anymore. Hopefully that was in your past. And the Lord has sanctified you and, and raised you up. Well, you know, just going on. So, he says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. That if you would enter life, you should keep the commandments. And the young man, uh, I need you to be more specific here, Lord. Teacher and Jesus said, "Don't murder." That's a good one to keep. Um, don't commit adultery. That's another good one to keep. And don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. All the parents say, "Hallelujah." And he said, "And you, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself." And the young man said, "I've done that." Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And the young man heard this and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think I could add to that, that verse right there. Because if there was like, you know how you like texting, you go dot, 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 and it's like in the distance, I don't know why dot, dot, dot. But it's like a continuation of your thought. If there was a continuation of that thought, it'd be, for he had great possessions, dot, 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 and he loved them very, very, very much. That, that would be the continuation of it. That's why he went away sorrowful. Because he didn't care about his possessions. He didn't like, okay, good. I'll sell everything I got and come follow you. But he was, it wasn't that he had great possessions. It was that he was in love with those great possessions. There's a big difference there. And Jesus said to his disciples, so Jesus turns now after the, the young man is, is disgruntled, and he walks away, he turns to his disciples, and he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will, in, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, With man, this is impossible. God can Okay, so there's, there's a few things going on here. There's a few things, obviously, we have the conversation between Jesus and this young man, and then the conversation or the teaching point um, with Jesus and his disciples. First of all, Jesus' message uh, to this young ruler, I don't believe, and, and, and Scripture will back me up here, I don't believe Jesus was talking about his money. You know why? Because when, when you look at Scripture and you see when Jesus, is, Jesus talks to people, he doesn't always answer their question that they ask. You know why? Because Jesus and his divinity is able to, 
the question kind of goes in one ear and out the other. You ever ask the kids a question, and they're like, and they got the deer in the headlight look, and it goes in one ear, and you can literally see it kind of with your words, so it's all jumbled up, come out the other ear. But you did not hear a thing I just said. So, but Jesus, there are times when Jesus listens and somebody asks him a question, and he's not listening to the words that they're saying, he's reading the intent of what they're asking. See, that's different. That's where Jesus is so different than us. If you ask me a question, the only way I can answer the question is because I've heard your question. And, and so the Jesus, he looks and he says, I know what you're asking me, but I know what your heart is telling me. And so you see Jesus do this throughout the scriptures. Amen. And, and it would be tough, you know, Jesus like walked in here today in Princess Road. Okay, you can ask me any question, and we would think of the best question you could ask Jesus. And you ask Jesus a question. I wonder what he would read: the intent of the heart or the question? Because I'd be asking all kinds of questions. You know, because you've got to give him a line because Jesus sees the intent of the heart. And so when he answers this young man's question, he wasn't he wasn't responding to the words he said. He was responding to the intent. Knew this man's heart. He knew that he had a problem with his love for his possession, and it wasn't about his money. It was about his love for himself. That's what it was. Because real love denies money for the sake of others. You can't real love. You know how we know that? Jesus showed that in his example when he hung on Calvary for our salvation. So. Jesus goes on and he talks about the difficulty of a rich man entering heaven. And, and if you look at it the way the whole thing, you've got to take the whole picture. But I believe what Jesus is saying is the point I'm making here about the rich is true for everyone. Because I believe this idea of rich, okay, let's take it down physically, the physical realm. Being rich is for the eye of the beholder, is it not? Okay, because there's third world countries that look at the United States and think everybody that lives in the United States is rich from their perspective. Okay, we may define rich differently than somebody else defines rich. There are people that will look and assess and judge the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the cars you drive, and say that you're rich. Whether you are or not in your own eyes, they may think you are. So the, the idea of being rich is in the eye of the beholder. And if we look biblically, we are all rich. You know why? Because our Father, who we have an inheritance with, owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He he, he, he owns all the riches of, of, of the earth and, and the heavenlies. And so it, when we look at it that way, we're all rich. Amen. But you never say, what? We're rich. So the problem here is not the money. The problem is humanity. The problem with humanity is our propensity to self-absorption. 
true pride of a Christian. And that's why we find this rich young ruler getting upset and leaving, and Jesus responds with, sell everything and follow me. And so the young man, the idea, and Jesus knew this, is why he responded this way. The young man was more in love with his possessions than anything deals with this young man, then we see Jesus kind of suddenly change the topic, and he turns to his disciples, and he focuses on his disciples, and he tells his disciples, and the whole idea behind this reference and this thing about the camel, okay, it says there's a camel, and it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to enter into the kingdom of God, uh, or, or it's camel to go through the eye of the needle. And the whole reference of that is, I believe, is to show us how great of a span there is between us and God. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that God's not with us. We know that He's with us. I'm not saying that God's not with us. We know that He's with us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know that. That's biblical. That shows us in there. God in us. I'm talking about how we think, thought, and act. How different they are. Because, uh, anybody ever been to Grand Canyon? You have? Okay. As a kid, I was uh, privileged several times to go to the Grand Canyon. And um, it's amazing. It, it, it truly is an incredible sight to behold. If you've never been there, my wife tells me never, ever in a million years are we ever going to Grand Canyon because she thinks as we drive up, the car is just going to involuntarily drive off. And tell her, oh, look, the Grand Canyon. So, sights of the Grand Canyon are in my memory alone. That's going to probably always I'm not sure I stand with that, that guy standing, but that's an amazing sight. Could you imagine that it, it, it spans 277 miles? It has cliffs or sheer drops of over a thousand, some over 1,500 feet deep. There are some areas that they call endless pit because they have not uh, discovered the bottom. I don't know. That's altogether true. That's just what I think. I've been to the western rim, and I've been to the southern rim as a kid of the Grand Canyon. And you walk out, and it is the most amazing thing to behold. It, it, it truly is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I jumped out of airplanes, and, and it's, it's been the most amazing thing to see. When you step up there, and you look across there, and you see this little bitty river winding down, and you look across, and the other side looks like it's an eternity long. That span. And I thought, you know, how can we define how far our thoughts are from God? You know what? That doesn't even matter in comparing how the Lord thinks compares to us. Because this whole thing of a camel sitting through the eye of a needle is uh, kind of beyond our 
ability to understand. First of all, the camel is going to be like, you want me to do what? So are my ways higher 
in your ways and my thoughts in your thoughts. What God is trying to get us to understand is that how we view people is not even close to how we view Think about how we view your life or your people. Isaiah 55, the whole chapter is titled The Compassion of the Lord. And it starts out with a four-word phrase. It starts out with this. Come, everyone who Isaiah 55 starts with, come, everyone. It has no stipulations. It has no requirements. It has no, come when you have your life together. Come when you get free of addiction. Come when you get rid of all your mistakes. No, it says, just come, everyone who thirsts. If you're thirsty and messed up, come. If you're thirsty and, and, and you've got a, a lifetime of mistakes behind you, come. That's who he's calling. That's, that's where it's hard for us to comprehend. Come, everyone who thirsts. Uh, I, I, I want to paint a picture here for you, okay? Um, last week, uh, my wife painted this wonderful Just how she did it, just freehand. I think of this. Think of the children of Israel. Okay, we'll paint this picture for you. Think of the children of Israel in Egypt. They've been slaves for 450 years. God looks down and he's like, okay, you know what? I'm ready to change their environment. So he looks down at this time in the children of Israel's history, they have about 2 million plus people that are slaves. And he's looking down and he's going, you know what? I need to find a man that will deliver um, all of my people from Egypt. And he decides, okay, he's found it. So he chooses an orphan first, who is now actively a fugitive with a murder on his record. And add a guy that stutters when he talks. to lead his people out of Israel. I would not have chosen Moses. I'll just be honest with you. Moses would not have been my first choice. And I don't think any of us would have chosen Moses. We would have found some person in there that was among the people, that was a big, strong, strapping guy, and we were like, yeah, he's got leadership qualities. Yeah, I'm going to choose him. So, so God says, you know what? Moses is wandering, wandering around the desert, and he reaches out and he says, I want you to lead my people. It's hard for us to comprehend how God chooses his people. Then throughout the Old Testament, he uses a lion's den and the fiery furnace to show his power. I don't think that. If I was God, like Nebuchadnezzar, be like, okay, we're going to throw Daniel in the lion's den. They open up, all the lions are dead. That's a bit odd to go now. The fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar said, all right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get in the fiery furnace. They look, and out of froze the fiery furnace. That would have been cool. A fiery furnace that was just a big old block of ice. 
I mean, why wouldn't he do that? But he lets them go into the fiery furnace. Now, hindsight being what it is, we understand that, oh, his way was so much cooler than how we would have done. And how he did it was so much more amazing. Instead of killing the lions, he allowed Daniel to use them as a pillow. That's pretty amazing. I wouldn't have thought of that. And so when we think about how God used people and used situations, there are times when it goes beyond our comprehension. We start wondering, why was God doing that? And there are moments in Scripture and times in our life that have, that have visionary and prophetic moments. Let me continue to paint the picture. Think of our salvation. Okay? Think of it as, you know, it was paid for by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Okay? Jesus, we are told in Scripture, comes from the lineage of David. Right? So he comes from the lineage of David. David. That's King David. Before David, there's 14 generations from King David to Jesus Christ. 14 generations. Okay? Before David ever became king, before David ever was anointed king by Samuel, before he ever faced Goliath, David's great, great grandmother comes on the scene and she makes a deal with two spies coming into her city. So we get introduced to the lineage. Anybody ever go on those family tree website things and find out you're related to like some family or something? to the lineage of the greatest king Israel ever knew and the lineage of Jesus Christ when we read the story of Rahab the prostitute. Think of it. If I found out that my great-great-grandmother was a prostitute, I'd be like, what? You ain't gonna tell nobody that. We're going to keep that on the down low. <laughs> We're not going to announce that. Woohoo! Jane was a prostitute. So we're going to we're going to keep that down here. Yeah, she was a good lady. She loved people, mainly men. We're just going to we're going to dismiss that fact, right? But God cared so much about it that He made sure that it was written in the pages of our Scripture. You see how how broad the spectrum is from our thoughts and our ability to understand God and how He really... You can't make this stuff up. You can't. Our imagination and the difference between our way of thinking and how we view people and how God views people. We view people from what we see. He views them from their behavior. I couldn't wrap my mind around it, really, until I read a statement by Mark Patterson. You probably read his book. He was the one that wrote the Social Maker and several others. Very, very good book. And he wrote a, wrote a kind of a 
synopsis of this scripture in Isaiah. And he wrote this, and this kind of helped me bring it into understanding. He said, astronomers have five galaxies 13.3 billion light years from us. Okay? To put that distance into perspective, consider the fact that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Okay? So, 186,000 miles per second. And so, it only takes sunlight eight minutes to travel the 93 million miles between the sun and the earth. So, literally, our sunlight is only eight minutes old. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Oh, that's pretty amazing. But that distance for us is, is somewhat understandable, but light from the farthest
did the Bible say while we were yet Water, I would have offered you a water. 
Lord, to open your life and ask Him to fill you with what you need right now. Hallelujah. Let's just respond to the Lord. Let's respond to this invitation here this morning. Amen. Open your life. Where you stand, the front of this is open. God, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I know you made the invitation that if I'm thirsty, to come to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let your spirit baptize us all over again today. Lord, search our hearts. Noah, come and we may be right in your eyes. Hallelujah.